0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: Today we're going to talk about taking your summer back.
1: Oh, who doesn't want that, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have a suspicion that the dear listener is probably thinking we mean one thing when really we mean another, but we can get into it. Um, But as we're recording this, it's pretty close to the end of May, so it'll be uh, in your ears like first week of June. So we thought, eh, this might be a good time to talk about... The shift that we've both seen over the years, uh, sort of a downshift from client work in the summer and what we've done in the past or what you could think about doing to take advantage of that instead of just downshifting right along with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to think about it in terms of asking yourself some big questions. To me, it's almost like at the beginning of the year, everybody's like, oh, I have to think about my business. I need to rejigger this. I need to look at that. But, but we're kind of at the halfway mark. And sometimes this is an even better time to step back for a minute and ask yourself some big questions about your business.
0: I think maybe along with that, if that sounds intimidating, even if that is too much and you're like, well, okay," and then you're just like, I'll get around to that. (laughs) But then you don't. It's it has been my experience. You know, I'm from software, so a lot of projects, um, there's a cycle to the year. And it's usually pretty slow in terms of landing new business. It's pretty slow during like the holidays from Thanksgiving to Christmas and all the other winter holidays. And then it doesn't pick up again until February at the soonest. And then you, you tend to land more new business or new projects start up, and they're in progress for the spring and then into the summer. And even if you're on an active project during the summer, it tends to get to a phase where like everybody's going on vacation. There's like like the management team and the client is taking turns, you know, because they don't want to all go at once. So they take turns and it goes around Robin and you'll go for a solid month where you can't get all the decision makers in a, in a meeting uh, and things really slow down. They have a tendency to slow down uh, and then they pick back up in September. And then from September to like November is you've got about 100 days to try and land new business like that's when really really want to crush it and go into sales mode really be doing outreach or whatever it is that you do to attract new clients it's kind of like spring and fall or the times that I have found it's good to ramp up sales or that sales happen whether or not you ramp it up that's when people are thinking about spending money and then summer and winter are kind of like for uh, things that are in progress to just sort of play themselves out but in both of those time periods people tend to go on vacation and heaven forfend if you're billing by the hour or anything like that, things are, or even if you're not, things are probably going to slow down in terms of communication and getting decisions made. And you could just be like, cool, I want to go on vacation too, or cool, I'm, you know, I'm going to chill over the summer or whatever it might be. But if you're running your own business, I think it's cooler to take advantage of that essentially free time to either think big thoughts about what your strategy is for the year. Maybe look at your spreadsheets of income from various things and say, okay, how am I trending for the year? But also maybe it's time to write that book. I can remember one summer when I, I was like <laughs> down in the woods with my computer, kids are swimming, and I'm just like cranking out an Android book. It's a great time to catch up on all that marketing stuff that you know you should be doing what you haven't been Maybe it's a good time to create a course that's around your area of expertise make like a video course or a book or put together a workshop, brainstorm some new products or services. All all these sorts of things, I think, uh, with this extra free time, it'd be time better spent to do that than, say, like going down a YouTube rabbit hole or like Netflix and chilling.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking vacation. We could throw that in there, too, which is always good. But yeah. Our job is
0: vacation. (laughs)
1: Well, I am taking my first 10 day vacation in literally, I don't know how long, I'm sure it's been at least 20 years. And so for me, that's a big deal. But I go back to you, like, what are the questions, right, that you want to ask yourself? And I think, you know, they're big questions. And they're also small questions, depending on where you are, you may have answered the big ones. And you're really worrying about the smaller ones, which are more about execution. But those are still important. One of the first big questions would be, you know, what do I want to create? Or maybe is, is there something I want to create for the summer, for the next year? Because not everything that you create, you know, get can get done in a summer, depending on how big you're thinking. Like your book would fall into that category.
0: Yeah, it's about 200 hours. So you, you can do it in the summer, but that's close to, you know, half time or full time. It's a lot of work. But certainly you could say, okay, uh, I know I'm going to have a busy, ideally I'm going to have a busy sales uh, period in the fall. What can I do now to prepare for that? Like if you want to just talk totally tactical, just just plan a uh, an outreach camp or just some kind of marketing campaign for, you know, to kick off uh, after, what is it, Labor Day in September. That's pretty much the, the kickoff and say, well, what am I gonna do? Maybe I could get all of this content ready, maybe I could uh, start crafting a bunch of blog posts, I could start making lists of people who I should do outreach to, maybe I could reach back out to past clients who are, uh, of course, very happy with your work, and ask them for testimonials which you never got around to doing. And updating, adding all of this stuff to your website, uh, maybe adding a little bit of a lead magnet, maybe a little bit of a sales funnel, contact us for more information about this that's all super tactical stuff whether you have already answered the big questions like who you help with what what your superpower is what your big idea is whether or not you've answered that you can still do i mean just straight up planning to do outreach you know get a crm you know there's all these all these little things that you can do that uh they don't usually make it up to the top of your priority list so maybe the maybe an action item for for this episode would be to okay look at your maybe someday list or create one if you don't have one and say like, what are all the things on here that, I've, that I know I should do that I haven't been doing? And, and reprioritize that list or bring it up to the top or start slotting it into your calendar or something like that.
1: I can sort of look at this two ways. One is like, what is that thing you've really been wanting to do and you just haven't been able to do? And then the other is, what is that thing that you should, quote unquote, be doing? Right? I'm thinking a couple of summers ago, that's when I switched from MailChimp to ConvertKit, which for me was just like, it just felt like such a slog. But it was on the should list. I knew I needed to do it to do what I wanted to do next. But it was the the hairy execution of it that I just so didn't want to deal with. But summer was the perfect time for that. And that's when I pulled the trigger.
0: Come to think of it, that's when I created the pricing seminar. It was over the summer because I launched it at the very, very end of August for September.
1: Yeah, because I'm September's prime time for that. I mean, in terms of releasing a new program.
0: Back to school. <laughs> yeah.
1: It just doesn't change even when we're not in school anymore.
0: Yeah, it's like a built into your cycle.
1: But I also think there's this psychological thing. It's why we talked about calling this episode, Take Your Summer Back, because what happens, I think, um, at least in the consulting world, a lot of times, and it depends on the specialty in terms of what the summer means. The summer could be busy for some specialties, but there is this thing that can happen where you, your clients all of a sudden aren't available and you had a timeline. And all of a sudden, the timeline starts slipping. And let's just assume that that's okay with the client because they're the ones that are causing the slippage. But all of a sudden, you're sitting there and you're kind of like, well, now what do I do? I had this big project. Uh, Stuff isn't happening. It's been delayed for two weeks, three weeks. You know, take your summer back. Don't just sit there at the whim of the client because that's not a very empowering position. I mean, it doesn't feel good. So that's why I like this thinking of this as a time to work on something that advances your business. We still love clients, God bless them, but sometimes it's just frustrating and you've got to keep working on your business versus, you know, like you said, go down the YouTube rabbit hole while you're waiting, you know, waiting for somebody to make a decision.
0: As I'm thinking through, thinking about this on my own, what will I do this summer? And it's almost certain that I will come up with a new tentpole piece of content. Yeah. I released, I released Hour the billing is nuts in July and, and I create, I created it in the summer, released it in July without consciously thinking of it. It must be that I just feel that slack time and I'm like, Oh great. Finally, I have time to get to this thing that I've been thinking about since probably January. And I've got this opportunity to create, see like the, the thing that makes me the YouTube rabbit hole thing. And that kind of makes me feel like I'm trying to think what, what, do i do in summers when i don't do that it's definitely not chill because i'm not like a that kind of a person
1: (laughs) i don't think you have it in you
0: (laughs) yeah i vacation stresses me out severely it's like very stressful (laughs) packing up two kids and like trying to get it's like going like my life rules like my daily life is the best so like switching to something else is not usually that much fun (laughs) so anyway uh, so that's not what I usually do but what I'm trying to think what do I do I don't know I don't know I'm sure I'm sure the time just disappears it just like gets wasted I mean whether used or not it goes away so
1: yeah those of us that like get excited about an idea there's something about having a great idea to work on in the summer that's just energizing And, you know, I've done the same thing as you and mine has been a little bit more intentional because summer, as long as I've been doing this kind of work, summer's always been pretty quiet. Every once in a while, something big will happen, but usually summers are quiet. So it's, I love having that to look forward to. And the idea that, that my phone isn't ringing could make me feel very stressed if it was January, but somehow in July and August, it's, it's energizing not having that phone ringing. You know, you can concentrate on your stuff, your ideas, uh, your business.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I had a wish for all, the, the dear listener, it would be to come to the end of August and have a new thing, like a, a non-tribute, you no, know, I'm not talking about a blog post, I'm talking about like something substantial that they kind of have to show for it, for, you know, for the summer, the extra time that they've snuck in here and there while clients were down. And created this thing that they can then use as a sort of gravitational pull throughout the fall, you know, when they're trying to attract clients or booking conference, you know, hell, I just came up, I self-published a book or I have this new course that's specific for these kinds of people. I'd love to come to your meetup or your conference or your event to talk about it and set up a podcast tour. All that stuff naturally flows out of creating... I've heard people refer to it as a tentpole piece of content. It's like a it's like a non-trivial, maybe it's a book, maybe it's self-published, maybe it's it probably wouldn't be traditionally published. That would take way longer than just one summer. But um, certainly you could have a manuscript together or something.
1: Sometimes you have to ask yourself the question is, am I in the right place? Sometimes I would say shape, you know, is like physically, mentally, emotionally to do whatever you've got planned for the next phase. So let's say that you're going to write a book and it's your first book and you've been agonizing over it. And listen, I've had clients who've agonized over writing a book for 10 years. I know people agonize over this one in particular. Sometimes maybe you use this block of time to figure out what do you need to do to be ready for this next thing. And I don't want to Like, I don't think it takes 10 years to be ready when you're focused on it. But if there's something you can do to get yourself out of where you're at and catapult you into the next thing, sometimes it's a mindset thing that you're big enough to play on on the stage that you want to play on. Sometimes it's that uh, maybe you've been ill, or you've been busy with small kids, and they're getting a little bit older. But you kind of need that that push. Sometimes the summer is good for that too. I think.
0: While you were talking about that, I was thinking of other things I do in the summer because I I, I love the idea of coming with like even a short book or a proposal, getting it accepted, something. Um, But like you said, that's a pretty stressful thing for people. They might not know what they want to write about. We've talked before about how to time a book and whether or not you're ready. Not everyone's ready to write a book for whatever reason. Another thing I've started doing probably three years ago, this is maybe a little embarrassing. I should have been doing it all along. But maybe three years ago, I approximately, I started to really diversify the kinds of income streams I had. Before that, it was just client work. I just did retainer engagements where people would pay me by the month to advise them about, especially uh, mobile web type initiatives. They'd have a big project, they're redoing their entire website. Uh, it needs to be mobile friendly, that kind of thing. I really just did one thing, but for multiple clients. Then in 2016, and I had I had a book and stuff, but it, I didn't really think about that income because it was through a traditional publisher and you didn't really get that much visibility into it. But then in, I think it was 2016, I launched a book and then, you know, self-published book and I put together a course and I put together a mailing list and I started selling lots of different kinds of things, coaching, coaching. I did road mapping sessions for a while, individual phone calls. I had all of these different kinds of work. So I started tracking them individually to get a sense of projections for the year. So the summer, the beginning of the summer is a perfect time. You know, you've got like five, six months behind you for the year and there's enough data there to look back and look at a spreadsheet and say, okay, maybe I created a couple of new things. Let's say, uh, I changed the way my coaching program worked. Okay, so let me look back and see. All right, let's just say these numbers continue roughly as is for the rest of the year. Where does that land me? Okay, that's interesting. If I was going to double down on one of these and throw another one away, what effect would it have on my numbers? So I kind of play around with the spreadsheet, and I think I think to myself like, oh, look, I'm only making X. Best case scenario, I double my sales for this for X for this particular offering by the end of the year what would that look like money wise and how, what kind of pressure would that put on me? You know, like how leveraged is it really? Um, cause there are certain things that, that when I lo- would look back over the years, if I look back over the years now at that list, there would be certain things where I'm like, there's no way for me to scale this up given the constraints that I have. And, and, it, or this just saps the life out of me every time I have to do it. And the money's not that great. So I can look and see, like I can look at the list and say, all right, which one of these things I sort of I sort it by different things? Like you might think I'll sort it by the highest revenue. That seems like the obvious thing to do. But when I look at it, I I sort it by which ones are the easiest for me to deliver the most impact. So I'm like group coaching, let's say. It's it's really low pressure, it's pretty easy for me to help people in that format. The money's pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. And guess what? It could scale way up. So should I spend more time focusing on that particular thing and less on something that's more high intensity and takes more of my attention, eats up more of my attention? It's not just, well, it is just leverage, but what I'm doing when I think about the costs of providing each of these things, because the costs are, the financial costs are almost zero. But the time cost and the stress costs are the things I'm considering. So I look at it like, how stressful is this? How much time does it take? How draining is it? I count those as my costs. So yes, the things that are more stressful and draining and high uh, intensity are more money. But like, let's say one-on-one coaching, I can't handle more than 10 people at a time. I mean, it's just, it's over the top. So that's kind of at max scale. So something needs to, would need to shift for that to be, we don't need to deconstruct my different offerings. So the point is halfway through the year, if you're tracking that kind of stuff, or if you haven't been, you could retroactively backfill a spreadsheet with the different kinds of things that you do and put in and say, um, you know, like, which one of these would be more fun to do, which ones have more leverage, which could I scale up more, which could I uh, simplify by offloading pieces to other folks, maybe a VA or maybe a subcontractor for a particular eh, I'll have this person do SEO, I'll have this person do branding instead of me doing it. Taking a look at your product mix really is I guess what I'm saying and projecting it through the end of the year and sort of sitting with a bunch of different combinations of things that you could do and say, OK, Uh, I think I should really double down just to pick something. I'll double down on group coaching. Let's just pick something. And for the summer, then you could devote your time to like, okay, well, how, what does that look like? How would I do that? If that's my my strategy, I've got an objective. I want to work less and make more. Great. Uh, Which thing should I double down on? Maybe it's group coaching. Okay. I've decided that. How am I going to, what does doubling down look like? What could I do? What promotions could I run? All that stuff that that sort of brainstorming, working on your business instead of in your business stuff that you don't have time or like the mental space to normally devote any energy to because client is client, 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 you know, email, 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 phone, phone, phone. Uh, so when things slow down, it does it, for me at least gives me that headspace to be like, Oh, let's sit back for a second and think about what's working and what's not working as well. And what I could do to do more of the stuff that's working. Well, yeah,
1: and in that example, I mean, what you really did was to combine the strategic and the tactical. And I think what happens, I mean, a a lot of times I find people are sort of wired strategically or wired tactically primarily. And so you need time. Like for me, I'm wired strategically, okay? So I need time to figure out the strategy. But then once I do, the tactical part can create a lot of stress, So to do that in the summer where you have this freedom to go through that exercise and say, oh, well, tactically, what could I do? And I don't even know the answers necessarily. I might have to talk to two or three people to get some input about what does that mean on the technology side? What does that mean on the social media side? What do I have to do to do that? So allowing yourself that time to answer those questions, that feels just like the biggest luxury.
0: Yes, that's how it feels to me too. It feels luxurious. Mm -hmm. Just like, oh, like I have I have uh, Thursdays blocked out just just nine to five and it just says blocked in my calendar every Thursday. And th- when I get to that day, it's like that's like better than the weekend. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, oh, uh, what am I going to fix today? Like what has been getting ignored? It's just the best feeling. And the summer does, you know, historically, the summer has felt like a extended Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Because it does slow down. Yeah,
1: well, you know, I'm thinking um, back when I had a, you know, a firm of people. One of the things we did once a year, and more often if something in particular came up, is we would go through our client list Mm -hmm. and we would literally physically sit around a table and we would rank the clients we wanted more of and the clients we couldn't wait to get rid of. It was really challenging for me because I knew which clients brought in the big revenue. So if if I had a bunch of consultants telling me, we don't like them, at some point, I'm going to have to drop that client or work with that client to do something differently. Because in, in those situations, the consultants were actually more valuable than a single client. The consultants were harder, the right consultants were harder to get than the right client. So it was an incredible exercise. And I can't remember exactly why we started doing it, but because, the, and it was mostly, it was actually all women except for my, my co-founder. The luxury part of this for the individual consultants was that they knew if they had somebody really difficult to work with, that at some point that would go away. Right? And if you think about it, when you're a consultant in somebody else's firm, you don't usually have that luxury. You have to figure out a way to work with whoever you're presented with, typically. It's not as easy for that. So there was something about knowing that at least once a year, you were going to get to sit down and give candid, biased, probably, feedback, because somebody loved one client and hated another, and another consultant felt exactly the opposite. But having that freedom to say, no, I don't want to do that work anymore, we all have that freedom now, as as decision makers in our business. So we don't have to do that work anymore.
0: How did it go when you would run those meetings? Did you did you basically know what everyone was going to say? Pretty
1: much, yeah. We were pretty open and <laughs> yeah. outspoken. There weren't very many surprises.
0: <laughs> yeah, mm. pretty yeah. much.
1: But as a leader of a group of people um, serving clients, when you know that there is this feeling. From the office, then you know at some point it's going to get expressed to the client, and so long term that's not going to be a viable client. If 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 I have a team that is not doesn't doesn't appreciate their mission or the people are really difficult, um, you know it's not going to work long term. At the same time, when you're out selling that work, you have to be looking for the ideal client, the sweet spot client who is going to fit our sweet spot. And I didn't always get it right. I didn't always get it right.
0: So we've got a pretty good list going here of like how to use your summer, rethinking your client list, rethinking your product mix and how things are leveraged, maybe spending some time to put together a, uh, a tent pole piece of content, perhaps preparing uh, some kind of marketing or sales campaign, uh, creating the materials that you're gonna need for a September push. There's a few few good things to might yeah, uh, add to that, which
1: I guess you could argue is sort of under sales and marketing, but something with social media, whether that's really choosing the right platform for yourself or whether it's doing a specific campaign or trying to interact with more people. Summer is a good time for that in the sense that you have the time. Not everybody is available, but it's still a good time to, to reach out to people.
0: Yeah, that, that reminded me kind of like your your switch from MailChimp to uh, ConvertKit, that it's probably a good time to, it's related to what you just said, to rethink any technology choices that you made or choices that you made in the past and just kind of rethink them and say, ah, that made sense at the time, but I've got new information now. Does it still make sense to, I don't know, be using this system? I'm getting physically excited <laughs> imagining taking the summer to redo my entire email automation. It's not that complicated really, but there are a bunch of pieces that I don't even know how they work. They might not even be working, but like to go through and, and they probably, they must be, I'm still selling stuff. They must be, but, but to go through and say, okay, I wrote this email campaign in 2016. It's, there's got to be, I definitely can do a better job now. I can be more valuable to the people that are signing up for this for sure it grew organically piece by piece, you know, at a certain point in time there, I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, so it would be really cool for me just as like, uh, it's almost like there's this cognitive load of all of that stuff that feels a little swept under the rug. And I could go back and just really make do a, a better job at that for delivering value to people that do whatever, give me an email address or buy a book or something and just rethink all of that stuff, kind of clean it up and make it stronger and sharper and more useful. Man, would that be fun. It feels like a software program, even though it's not, it's, it's got like a logic flow to it. Again, it's not complicated, but it's, uh, it probably could be simplified for me and the people that go through it. So it's not so much of a, you know, Plinko board, <laughs> you know, like pinballing your way down through, uh, through all of these different obstacles.
1: Well, and the other thing that happens is that links break. And if somebody doesn't tell us, we don't know. (laughs) That's frustrating. But when I was um, working on something recently, I kept putting off having to change the sequence in ConvertKit because I saw it as this um, this big process. Right. And I had something like eight different places. I had to make these really kind of silly changes, but they needed to be done. And I put it off and I put it off. So finally, I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And like I set aside a day to work on this. It took me 45 minutes (laughs) because in my head, I'd made it out to this big tactical kind of pain in the neck kind of thing. And, And then it went really fast. So I think that's worthwhile. And the other thing is, I don't know if this happens with you and your program, but the sequences can get really complicated. And you download this thing from the website and that starts, you know, this sequence. And sometimes it's the sequence is is the content might be perfectly fine, but it might link to something that isn't relevant anymore. And so it's so easy to make it better. And then it feels fresh. And so the new people coming through your system feel like, oh, yeah, this is current. I like this. I see where this is going. In fact, I, was, I just um, signed up for somebody's list about a week ago. And they keep sending me these links to videos. And the links are dead. And so I wrote to them and said, not all of them, about half of them. So I wrote and said, I'd like to watch this video, but the link is dead. No answer. It was a series of three. The second one, no, it's broken. I wrote to them, this is dead. No answer. (laughs) That's bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a shame because it sounded like a good video.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Here's an example from one of mine that I did fix because it was so surgical. I had a download this template and then somebody downloaded it and they tweeted like, This is a game changer. I used this yesterday for the first time and closed the biggest deal of my career, so on and so forth. And I had that tweet embedded in a follow-up email for people who, you know, to encourage them to actually use the template and not just forget about it and throw it in a folder somewhere on their computer. But the email was something like, oh, you know, Julie just tweeted about how successful this was for her. So if you haven't taken a look at it yet, you know, take a look at it. But it was from like 2016. Three years later, it's like, uh, Julie just tweeted that out. It says 2016 on it. So, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks I'm sending those emails live like they know it's an automated automated campaign, but still going back and cleaning up that obviously still, you know, it's just stale. Just getting the stale language out of it, I think, is super useful. Well,
1: just as a, as a side note, um, if you have email sequences, one of the things that comes in really handy, I keep it in an Excel spreadsheet, is to have a list of all the links so that if you change anything, you can go back and correct it without having to go through literally every item in the sequence. Saves a lot of time. It doesn't take much time as you're doing it. You know, You just drop it in a spreadsheet or a Word document and you're done
0: we should do a show on how you keep your (laughs) spreadsheets organized because it sounds like you have hundreds
1: (laughs) I I sound so ridiculous when I say that but it's the only way because I I don't like to deal with the tactical stuff and I like to hand it off to my VA Um, she's got other clients too I don't expect her to keep it all in her head so yeah so we have all these different documents and we just go there when we need it yeah
0: Hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) nerd alert nerd alert
0: Cool. All right. Well, I feel like I feel like we've given people a lot to chew on here. There's probably six different ways that you could take advantage of your slack time in the summer to work on your business, make things better for your existing clients, make things better for your clients to come, perhaps get more business in the fall based on some materials that you put together over the summer, lots of things. Well,
1: and don't let us vacation shame you either. <laughs> take, right. take a vacation. <laughs> take a vacation. This is not about you know working yourself till you drop. It's just about taking advantage of some of that downtime that isn't vacation time.
0: I agree with that. And I want to kind of pile on and say that Here's the thing that I wouldn't like to hear from people is that, oh, geez, I don't know, the summer just like went by. And if you're reactive to the slack time and you just you just react to it and you're just like, oh, I'm, is it, wow, it's been a really chill week or it's been a really chill month. And what that can lead to is the hamster wheel thing. So if you're a little bit more intentional and proactive about it, putting in the groundwork now to create leverage pretty much everything we're talking about is about creating leverage. If you create that leverage, then you won't have just slack time during the summer. You'll be creating like for all (laughs) for the next two years, you potentially creating slack time in your schedule so that your business is running more smoothly. You're attracting better leads. You're closing bigger deals and you can be working less year round, not just when your clients happen to go on vacation. So, I think that's an important point to make. I, I definitely don't want to f- people to think like, yeah, vacation shaming is not what I'm trying to do.
1: <laughs> well, it's really taking your summer back. I mean, you know, if you invest a summer in something and it might save you next summer and you can go off to Europe for two months and backpack or whatever it is that floats your boat. It's, it's getting, not just getting your summer back, getting your future time back.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cool. All
1: yeah.
0: right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Michelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.